0: So delighted. Well, if you've been hanging around here the last couple Sundays, you know that we're in the midst of a nine-week series. And our series is overviewing the genres, the different purposes, some of the movement of the Bible. And as we've been moving through this, we've decided that we're going to call the series Let. There be light. Because we're borrowing that language from the creation story where God declared, Let there be light, right in those opening words of Scripture. So that seemed appropriate to start with that as we move through the whole Bible. But then also throughout Scripture, we have references to God's word lighting our way as a lamp for our path. We get these metaphors all throughout Scripture. Now, Dee is preaching mostly through this series. Matt preached, I'm preaching obviously today, and I have to admit that I got very, very lucky in my assignment. Matt was groaning a lot, I'm sorry Matt if you're here, around the office that he had to preach on eight whole books. That's hard to do. I sympathize with you, I feel for you. Dee had to start with the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and then he got all the wisdom literature, which is a good chunk of scripture all the minor prophets in one Sunday, again, many books, all the major prophets, many books, the Gospels last week, and I get one book. The book of Acts. Go me. Yes. I get to talk about the early church. I have a wonderful assignment in this series. And it is such a great book to explore. I read it through multiple times, getting ready for this sermon. And every time I move through it, I feel like it it reads like a novel, right? I mean... There are these stories from the beginning of the church and then the rapid multiplication of the church that unfold with these bold characters. There are conspiracies that keep you on the edge of your seat. There are these deeply embroiled legal battles and imprisonment. There are shipwrecks. There are adventures. There are miraculous healings. And as I was reading through... I forgot, but then re-remembered that there even is the intrigue of someone falling out the window of a third-story building because they fell asleep during Paul's sermon. I mean, there is that in Acts. The shock of that. He comes back to life all is well. It's a great story. Check it out. Now, every chapter of the book of Acts unfolds with a little bit more of how the Holy Spirit empowered how the Holy Spirit emboldened, how the Holy Spirit enabled the spread of the Gospel message. Now Dee walked us last week through the Gospels, and he emphasized in his message the core message of the Gospels, that Jesus' message compels us to move away from legalism and toward love, toward a full-bodied love of God that uses our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to use that love to propel us to love those around us. It's the core message of the gospel. And the invitation that he gave us last week, it's the invitation of the gospel, is to allow ourselves to be fully used by God, to allow God to be at the center of our life so that everything that comes out of us is a movement of God. This is this great and beautiful mystery of how we get to live as the people of God. Now D covered the gospels as a whole And what I'd like to do this morning is jump back to the Gospels for a minute before we move into Acts and take a look specifically at the book of Luke. Now, Luke and Acts are both written by Luke. And even though our Bible has it set up where there's the book of John in between Luke and Acts, uh, we're going to read them, kind of consider them as a part one and a part two, that they're the same author writing about the same time period And we're going to talk about how Luke flows into Acts. Luke is an account of Jesus' ministry, while Acts is an account of Paul and Peter's ministry. Luke effectively talks about the life of Christ, but moves into Acts where we have the bridge from the life of Christ to the life of the church. That's what Acts does. Now, in the last chapter of Luke, we want to pay attention to what's going on there because it's the bridge chapter. So in the last chapter of Luke, Jesus appears to his closest friends, his disciples, after his resurrection. They naturally are terrified. They don't understand what's going on. They just watched him be killed. They've heard rumors likely of the resurrection. He's standing in front of them, and they're freaked out. So they ask him to prove that he is Jesus Christ. And to prove that, he quotes to them some scripture. And he speaks these words to them. He says, this is what I told you all when I was still with you. That everything is going to be fulfilled. That was written about me in the law of the prophets. That was written to me in the law of Moses. That was written about me in the Psalms. And as he says these words to them, as he recalls to them that he's been written about in the scriptures that they know well and have hidden away in their heart, something really cool begins to happen. Light bulbs begin to turn on for them. They're starting to connect these Hebrew scriptures, these prophecies, with the life of Jesus standing in front of them. They knew before that Jesus was the one they were waiting for. They knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of these scriptures. But now, as Jesus is in front of them, speaking to them, something changes. They go from knowing that that's true to understanding in a very different and profound way. They get it. Jesus is the long-awaited-for Messiah, the one in whose name sins would be forgiven, the one in whose name preaching would take place in every nation across the earth. He goes on to tell them something about them. He says, you all are witnesses of these things and I am going to send you what my father has promised, but I want you to stay in the city, stay put, stay here until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now he's alluding, of course, to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, they've heard a little bit about this. It's probably a concept that they know that they're going to be receiving this spirit of God but it's not yet something that they understand in a deep way. They've all been baptized with water, but he speaks to them about a new baptism that's coming, this baptism with fire that they have yet to grasp. And as he's talking about these things, he then, right before their eyes, is taken up to heaven. And the disciples... Who are, I imagine, nonstop talking about the crazy things that have just taken place in their lives, rush back to the center of Jerusalem where they faithfully go to the temple to worship as they've been trained to do. Now that's how the book of Luke closes. And the author of Luke, Luke, begins Acts in a similar way. The way that Luke opens up the book of Acts is by Jesus showing up again to the disciples. So we have a repeat. So it's like we're returning to the scene. Jesus comes and he appears to his disciples. And we learn in the book of Acts that he ends up being with them for 40 days. And again, he refers to the Holy Spirit and he tells them, don't leave. Wait for the gift. The baptism by fire is coming. And just before Jesus ascends up to heaven, we get these words in Acts. He tells them, you all are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then to Judea and Samaria, and from there to the ends of the earth. He says, you are going to receive power when the Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, the sermon is called the scattered church, and the notion of the church being a scattered church to the ends of the earth starts right there right there in the words that Jesus is speaking. It's a promise that Jesus gives that the church is going to be guided by the Holy Spirit, that the church is going to grow, and that we all are going to be witnesses to and of everything that the Spirit is doing. Now, we often hear the early church referred to. And Acts tells us the story of these first Christians, these early Christians. We get little snapshots along the way of their house churches, of their small gatherings, of how they continue to move and meet. And Jesus has just left for heaven. The believers are gathering, they're trying to make sense of his message, make it more tangible. What does it look like to worship as a community now that Jesus has left? How do we put his message into the practice of our everyday lives? And Luke is writing his book in the middle of the first century, right around the 60s. So, Jesus was born only 60 years before that. He died 30 years before that. So the book begins with, essentially, right around the middle of the 30s of the first century. And and it shows the time moving up to just the 60s. So, We are only looking at a 30-year span of time in the book of Acts. 30 years. That is not a long time. And yet we see throughout Acts how quickly in those 30 years, how vastly the church spread. And in the verses that were read for us by Tyler in chapter 8, we learn of the first big scatter of the church we learn that something very massive happens. Stephen has been martyred just before the section that Tyler read. And the moment that that happens, persecution breaks out. The followers of Jesus know that they likely could face the same fate as Stephen. And they are likely to receive that fate at the hands of Saul, who becomes Paul, same person. And so, Philip, the evangelist, different than Philip, the disciple, but Philip, the evangelist, he takes off. And he goes to Samaria, to a population that is not well favored by the Jews. And he spends his time there. And as we read the story of what happens with Philip, following the stoning of Stephen, Philip takes off to Samaria. From that point on, that sets the trajectory for the whole rest of the book of Acts. People go. They get on the move. First, as Jesus promised, oh, hold off on that for just a minute, Emeji. You're good. You're anticipating. You're so close. So um, first, they go to Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus has promised. That's where they start. Regions inhabited by Jews and by Jewish descendants. And then from there, they keep going. They go to, quote, the ends of the earth. They go to minister to the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people that inhabit the regions that today we know of as Greece, Turkey, Italy, Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia. It's a tremendous spread in just 30 years, especially when you consider that this is not by planes, trains, and automobile. It was by, uh, by feet and by boat. So I thought it might be an interesting thing since it is uh, Church Family Month, to act this out a little bit and to incorporate some of our kids and our teens. So Larry, if you would hit the lights, we need it a bit brighter in here. If you look around the room, I want you to see the city names that are up. And I want you to use your imagination that these city names are actually where the cities are located. Cyprus, way over there. Cyprus, Lystra over there. We've got Iconium. We have Samaria over here. But these are the cities, and not all of them. It's just 20 of them. I had to stop at 20. I could not have all the volunteers help me for all the cities that are listed in Acts. But these are just 20 of the places in which the gospel scattered to, spread to. And so I'm wondering if I could have Nico help me get 20 teen or kid volunteers. If you're a kid who wants to volunteer and you can't yet read, bring a friend with you, okay? So come on up, 20. Come on up, come on up, come on up. And we'll put you, if there's more than 20, we'll put you in groups. All right. This is exciting. Line up up here. This is so fun. I'm loving it already. Um, They can shoot. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I'm going to come up here so I can see everything. Nico, will you make sure there's enough people? Wait, don't pick yet. Don't pick yet. Don't pick yet. Okay. Do we have 20? Nine more. We can have adults, too. Come on. Yeah, come on up, George, I see you, oh no, you don't want to come, okay. Right there, Naomi, oh, four more, you know, uh, your, your enthusiasm for the spread of the gospel could be better, come on, we can have adults. The longer you wait, the longer the sermon goes. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you. Okay. So what is going to happen is that each of our volunteers are like a missionary, like an early disciple. And they're going to be traveling to one of the cities that the gospel spread to. Now, would you help me here? Would you give me this box? You can even take... A prop from Bible Times with you, if you want, but just just one, okay, just one. All right. So, um, music, please. As the music starts, maybe you'll recognize the song. One of my old old time faves. Ready? Come get your place and go. I had to. Angels watching. Go. Scatter Scatter A reckless car ran out of gas Before it ran my way Near misses all around me so Accidents gotta go find her, unknown go find Though <laughs> I never see with human eyes the hand that lead me home But I know they're all around me one Oh, i got one more Oh, When the enemy is closing in I know sometimes they fight To keep my feet from falling I'll never turn away and What's protecting me? Then you're gonna hear me say, hey, Everybody, got his angels watching, watching over me. Every right move I made <laughs> angels watching <laughs> over me. <laughs> and i now you can show that map this will show you all the places that they are Damascus bless you missionary from Antioch so we are spread all over and Zach where were you sent to San San Diego First Church because the gospel yeah the gospel has spread not just to the areas surrounding Jerusalem but through time all the way to right here so, all of my disciples and my missionaries that are around the room in your different places, on the back of your poster is something written. Do you see it? Yeah, good job. Good job, disciples. On the count of three, I want you to say it as loud as you can. On the count of three. So it'll be one, two, three, and then you'll say it. Okay? Everybody ready? Everybody prepared? One, two, three. that was so good one one more time one one more time one more time really loud one voice one two three we are the church yay you can go back to your seats thank you everybody you can come on back you can bring you can keep your sign if you want you can bring back the sheep and your clothing and all that thank you children's department for lending those Good work. You want to keep it? You can keep the sheep for the sermon. Okay. You can keep your helmet too. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so good. Thank you, volunteers. You did an amazing job with that. Well, so we are looking at ancient cities. We we're looking at cities from um, from the area in which Paul and Peter and Philip and the other disciples traveled. Uh, But those of us sitting here in San Diego First Church, we are very far away from Jerusalem, Antioch, far away from Galatia. But we, sitting right here, we are the products of the scattered church. We are the church that exists far, far, far away from where the church began. We are one local piece, small local piece, in this very large universal puzzle So we're going to return to the scripture that Tyler read for us that speaks of the starting point for this great puzzle that we are a part of. Tyler read for us this, On that day, the day of Stephen's martyrdom, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and throughout Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, and Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, And he put them in prison. The church very clearly scattered, as we see in this passage, very clearly scattered in crisis. It's scattered out of fear, it's scattered out of concern for their safety. Stephen had just lost his life for boldly proclaiming the message of Jesus. And the disciples were horrified, certainly, by what had happened to their friend, their brother, by what they had witnessed but they were not going to stop spreading the good news. That wasn't an option. Most of them, to be sure, were prepared to meet a similar fate. They were, however, probably hoping to extend that fate just a little bit by getting out of town, by taking the message on the road. The passage makes something very plain to us, that the spark that sent the disciples off and running, the catalyst, that grew the church with the message of Christ far beyond Jerusalem. The spark, the catalyst, was the persecution of Stephen. This is a really significant thing. Something so awful, something gruesome and scary, had this end to it that nobody would have predicted. There's a theologian that I respect a lot, and he's written a lot about martyrdom in the early church and he's written about what it might have for us even today and so he offers an insight that I think is really helpful. Emechi, if you would show us that, I'm going to read that for us right now. Oh, it's missing the bottom part. Well, okay, I'll just read it and fill in the end there. Martyrs do not die to make a point. They do not mean to show the courage Of the Christian, they do not mean to show the wickedness of the world, the integrity and truth of Christian beliefs, the consistency of moral commitments, or even the fact that God can be trusted. All of these things might be true and may be involved in the minds and the actions of the martyr. Martyrs do not mean to clarify for the nations the difference between the courage and foolishness, nor to show the true meaning of responsibility. Martyrs do not mean to do any of these things and this is the important part it's the part you can't see so you're going to grasp it right here martyrs don't mean to do any of these things what they mean to do is the very meaning that their lives and their deaths are given by God the only thing they mean is the meaning that their lives and deaths are given by God As I consider what we might apply to our everyday lives from the life of Stephen and the church in Acts, this quote actually feels real helpful to me. It feels hopeful to me. And here's why. Because while there are so many different things that you could marvel at throughout the book of Acts, you can't help but see that there's this constant sort of fracturing and splintering of the church. Christians keep breaking away to form new groups, and yes, They are breaking away because they're enthusiastic about the gospel, but they're also breaking away out of necessity to survive because they face peril. And we see this scattering and this splintering taking place today. We certainly have areas of the world that are unsafe to be Christian, and we see groups scattering and splintering to stay alive, to spread the gospel in the face of peril. I'd also like to address a different form of scattering, of splintering and fracturing that's really common today. I'd say that the biggest way in which we split now is over differing opinion. I'd like to to say that Martin Luther, he really put the protest in Protestant Reformation, that's where that comes from. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church and he did it by protesting some things that he thought should change and with that, We have sort of our first denomination, our first break-off from this mother church to form something different over differing opinions. And ever since Martin Luther's revolutionary act, we have seen this proliferation of Christian denominations. Some experts say there are 30,000 or so denominations in the Christian faith. Others say that's not possible at all, there's only 9,000. However you slice that, there is a lot of Christian denominations out there. It's in the thousands for sure. And it shows us that we are prone to dividing ourselves up quite regularly and quite readily. And and I don't think that that concerns everybody, but I do hear often that this causes people great concern. The young adults that I work with so often have a hard time embracing the church that seems split to them in so many ways. And I love our denominational heritage And I really appreciate what the Church of the Nazarene has given me, and I appreciate its roots and why it began and why it broke off. But I think that that can be confusing a bit to us. Aren't we one body? But we're so many parts, so many groupings. And so to this, I want to lift up again the life and death of Stephen. And I want to ask the question, what does his life have to teach us about this issue with the church? What is the meaning that God gave to something hard to understand, Stephen's life and death? Well, it's out of Stephen's suffering, out of the subsequent spreading of the church that took place immediately after his martyrdom, that the church spread. When the church scatters, for whatever reasons that it does it, whether that's breaking into a denomination or it's moving to escape danger whenever the church spreads we can only see with our limited vision the division that may be caused that spreading or the persecution the crisis or the fleeing that causes that separation we just have our limited vision And yet, Acts is this wonderful reminder to us over and over and over again that what we see with our limited vision right here, right now, is not the end of the story. And that God takes that story and moves it, gives it meaning. Because God operates with this different kind of vision than we have. And God can give meaning to our situations, to our sacrifices like what we see with Stephen and yes, I believe even to our schisms God can give meaning to these things. And I think similar to the worries of a fracturing church, I think many of us also carry another kind of worry about our church around with us. I think that some of us might be concerned about the failing status of the church. It is it is noted. It is data driven that the church is waning in attendance. And in fact, the group in the U.S. that is growing the most rapidly, the religious group that's growing the most rapidly, is the spiritual but not religious category. People who believe in a God but don't need to necessarily buy into a religion. And I think that this causes us some alarm. I certainly hear that from you. I hear that in the broader Christian context as well. I read a lot about it because of what I do. And here's something that I think is one of the greatest gifts in the story of Acts. We see over and over and over again in all of those chapters that nothing, absolutely nothing, gets in the way of the spread of the gospel. Amen? Nothing. Acts is full of persecution, full of opposition, full of danger, violent storms, famine, And yet it's in the 30-year history of Acts that we see the church spread so rapidly. And so I want us to take a deep breath if we're worried about the church and step into the flow of God's time. Step into the flow of God's rhythm. For God exists beyond time, before time, outside of it. And we can't exactly know the mind and ways of God. In fact, I take such immense comfort in words that Paul the converted disciple who did most of the travel to all of these places around the room. Paul writes in a letter to the church in Colossia these words. So I want to I lift these up to you this morning. He says, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were made, through heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And all things have been created through Christ, and for Christ. Christ is before all things, and in him, every single thing holds together. And here's, here's the kicker of the whole thing. And Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the church. Amen? Yeah. Now, I work here. I work for you all. I'm employed by the church. I am in no way the head of the church. And Dee's not here, and I would say it even if he was. He's not the head of the church either. And the leaders of the most influential or largest churches, theologians, deep thinkers, elders, deacons, they are not the head of the church. Christ alone is the head of the church. Christ is in charge of what's happening with it and where it's going and how it's growing. And the gospel cannot be stopped. It cannot be. I fear that we as Christians in general get more caught up in worry about the state of the church than actually being the church, just getting about doing the stuff that churches do. And so again, the church in Acts has so much to teach us about what it looks like to be and live the church. It's so easy, I think, to romanticize the early church you know, to, to look back on it wistfully. Oh, we could only live like them. Or to say that the early church is an ideal that we simply can't attain anymore. And I don't buy that. I really don't. I don't think that we right here in this room are all that far off at all from the early church. And you might be thinking, really, Melissa? I might disagree with you. So I want to walk you through kind of how I arrived to that. I'm going to close the sermon here with a quick list of ten things that characterized the early church, ten things pulled straight out of Scripture. And I'd like to share those attributes of the early church because as it turns out, that list is a list that describes you as well. Early on, Luke describes those believers, those first Christians, as being one in heart and mind. One in heart and mind. So let me exemplify this for you a little bit. Whenever I talk about you, when I'm talking to friends that don't go here, or people I just meet, or maybe somebody I haven't spoken to in a long time, and they ask, what do you do, where do you work, what do you love about it? Every single time, when I get to the part that's my favorite part about who we are as a church community, my favorite part is our oneness. I don't know if you know this, maybe you do. You are an incredibly diverse group of people in your ideological views. You're all over the map. There are churches where you can go and pretty much have kind of the standard same view of all the people. We are not a homogenous community. We're diverse. And the way we think, where we put our money, the way we vote, what's important to us, we're really, really different. Some of us grew up uh, sitting on the the first row of Nazarene uh, church service, and some of us don't really know what Nazarene is. It's a really diverse body, and yet I take the greatest comfort in the way that we have continued to form unity, to be one in heart and mind. I think you're exceptional at it. I think it's an example of the world of how to come together across lines of difference. So you're already doing great on that one. Number two, second thing from my list, they took care of those in need. Now from my seat working for the church, I get to see a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. I see a lot of how the church is the church Monday to Saturday. And I witness over and over again all the ways in which you do take care of each other so well. There is not one baby that's born in this place that uh, that family doesn't get a meal, like a lot of meals. And you're visited in the hospital. I watch you pay other people's rent and house people. I hear you call the church and ask, hey, I've got a bit of extra money, who needs it around the world? What do I need to do to get rid of this extra stuff that I have? I watch you advocate for better care for the poor through our policies and systems. Over and over and over again, you are taking care of people in need. That is what the early church did. That is what this church is about. Number three, it says that the early church, the earliest believers were filled with joy. Now, if you need proof of this, I will offer you the church survey we gave you a couple years ago. It was a survey from the Church of the Nazarene headquarters, and one of the questions was, my church is full of joy. And you know what we got on that? 98%. So A+, plus. we are filled with joy. Good job. Just like the early church. Number four, it says that the early church was led by the Holy Spirit. Again, I get the privilege of interacting with you all all week long. And hearing how God's moving you, how God's leading you. It's so evident to me that your faith is deepening. That you're maturing. That you're being obedient to the things that the Spirit is asking. It's so evident. Now I'll go a bit quicker with my list. Number five. They were challenged by religious authorities, the early church. And they challenged right back when they felt that it was necessary. We've been there. We do this. Six. They had to work out issues of inclusiveness, who belongs, who comes, who goes, who stays. Isn't the church working out issues of inclusiveness constantly? The next one, disputes were happening between key leaders about real leadership issues. In fact, Paul and Barnabas split ways because they couldn't agree. That happens here too. We argue among ourselves about the best ways to lead. Next, the church strengthened in faith and numbers. We see that happening here. People were healed. We witnessed this happening here and the church universal. And last but not least, people fell asleep in sermons, and that does happen here too. <laughs> so see, we are not that far off from this romantic ideal of the early church. The early church looks a lot like us. And so to keep you from falling asleep in the sermon, we're going to wrap this up right now, okay? That list of the early church describes you, describes us. We are absolutely right now wrestling with questions of inclusion and questions of leadership. We are the church just as earnest and compassionate as those early believers were. And Christ is still, Christ has always been, and Christ will always be the head of the church. Praise God. This diverse beautiful, imperfect, scattered church. Pray with me. God, we look to you as the head of the church, and we thank you so much that its success does not rest on our shoulders, and that the things that seem to threaten it do not need to cause us fear that what you have asked from us is faithful witness and faithful response. And so we pray to be people of faithful witness and faithful response. We pray to not be daunted, but to be faithfully moving in the direction that you've called us. Your Holy Spirit that was given to your earliest disciples is the same Spirit that lives and moves among us today. Help us tune our ears and tune our hearts to hear you Help us be bold and obedient to the directions in which you are leading us, whether we understand where those directions go or not. Help us, God, to trust that it is you that gives the meaning to our lives. We don't have to make that up, you do. So God, we give ourselves to you, we give our local church here to you, we give the church universal to you. Move in us and use us as you have been doing the very beginning. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.